0: Grab your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament. Book of Numbers is where we're going today, early in the Old, in Old Testament, near the front of your Bible. Um, Numbers 22 is where we're going to be this morning. The title of the Bible study is, Did the Donkey Just Talk? Did the donkey just talk? And we begin a series today called Animal Crackers. Uh, that is why the decor has changed like it is. If you've ever seen the Barnum Animal Crackers, um, you know exactly what we're talking about. We're going to talk more about that next week. Um, and kind of unpack a little bit more of the history of that for you. But that's why we went with this particular motif for this series, and we have gone and pulled out all the stops. And it's very spiritual if you think about it. This section over here, if you look above the windows, those are penance. Say it with me, Penance. penance. But on this side of the room, this side is really spiritual, because on this side of the room, there is repentance. repentance. And see, some of you guys know what that is and some of you don't. That's a problem, by the way, here in church, in the world of church ministry. But um, we're going to talk over the next few weeks about some animals in the Bible. And in the Bible, we find some amazing animals that teach us some incredible lessons about God and how he wants to work. And he uses some of these events um, to teach us maybe even some surprising lessons that we need to learn. And so today is one of those days. And we use one uh, of the stories that is one of the more interesting uses uh, of an animal in the Bible. And it is the story of Balaam. And some of you are familiar with that, uh, particularly uh, the moment where Balaam is riding his donkey. If you're not, you will be by the end of the morning. Uh, And we're going to say a lot, we're going to cram a lot in, but we're going to move along Uh, Quickly, Numbers 22. I'm going to read you verses 21 through 35. If you have your Bibles or the app open, follow along, and and you can track what we're doing here. It says this. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and an angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, She turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. And then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord... She laid down under Balaam, and he was angry, and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. And there's so much you can say about the man talking to the donkey at that point (laughs) and uttering the line, You have made a fool of me. Um, it lends itself, I think, to a, a funny moment in Scripture that we probably could unpack, but we won't, not today. Uh, Balaam continues talking to the donkey. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn so he bowed low and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, "Why have you beaten your donkey these 3 times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these 3 times. If she hadn't turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now, but I would have spared her." And Balaam said, Somebody out back there rooting for the donkey? Is that what I just heard? Uh, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. It, it, it is an intriguing passage. There's no doubt about it. Uh, for a lot of reasons, a lot of levels, there's a lot of things that you could say about the passage. And, and, and we could, we won't. But we're going to, to take a look at it today and what take this moment where God uses this encounter between Balaam and, and his donkey and and teaches us all some things that we need to remember. And you know, even on the day where we honor our graduates, for you grads in house, this one, this one really was one that really does apply. This is graduation advice in some ways, and at the same time, it also is advice for all of us who are out trying to live the life that God created us to live. And as we roll towards summer right now, um, What we're going to do is I want to challenge you to look for ways that God might use you, uh, maybe some unexpected ways God might use you, and use you to do some things and share some things that maybe you might not normally uh, get to share, taking the lessons and those encounters and the conversations from the Stranger Things series and then moving them forward. To begin with today, I want to tell you a story about Jim Davis. He um, is a grocery store clerk who loves his job, prides himself on his good work, uh, and does a good job. One of his pet peeves, however, is out of the control toddlers and parents who yell at their kids but do nothing to correct their kids' obnoxious behavior. That may be one of your pet peeves as well. One evening, Jim is in the store he's working in, checking out a customer who had a shopping cart loaded, brimming over the top with groceries. And while ringing up the sale, a child behind him begins screaming loudly, and an angry man responds by yelling, Get down! Jim... Did not even look up. Thought to himself, what a jerk. (laughs) And he kept on calling out prices and moving groceries past the scanner. Kid behind him continued to cry. And again, he heard the man yell, get down. Jim's thinking to himself, talk about poor parenting. Can this guy not get control of his kid? The guy's a complete jerk. And he kept on checking out groceries and never looked up to see the man and the child. Finally, finishing and emptying out the customer's cart, Jim looked up and said that'll be eighty nine ninety five ma'am and he looked up and saw no one standing in front of him and He looked around and he noticed for the first time that everyone around him was lying face down on the floor. He turned around just in time to see a gunman leave the store and as the checkout person behind him looked up over the counter said jim the second time you yelled get you heard the man yell get down it was him and the gun was pointed right at your head <laughs> nobody was hurt the man was caught jim always decided to look up a little bit more often after <laughs> that jim's problem was besides almost getting shot was that he had already determined what he was hearing. When he heard the child cry and Emmanuel get down, he had already determined the situation, the scenario, and the circumstance and never opened his eyes to look at what was going on around him. Uh, bad move on his part. But also, bad move on our part. Because listening is a problem for all of us. Because there are many people, and maybe you're here today, but we only hear what we want to hear the way we want to hear it. And if that is you and that is your life, that is a struggle for you. It is that moment where we tend to think we know enough, and maybe not that we know it all, but nearly all. And so when we begin hearing things and we begin processing the world around us, we're really not open to hearing anything that doesn't quite fit into the paradigm of what we're thinking. And as a result, we're real resistant to new ideas, we're real resistant to change, we're real resistant to hearing anything that takes us and forces us to move beyond what it is that we already know. And so we get so accustomed to the noise around us, and there's plenty of noise in the culture around us, that when someone tells us something important, something that we really need to hear, we kind of blow it off sometimes like it's not significant because we're not really listening. We're hearing the words, we're hearing the noise, but we've already processed what we need to know, we think. And as a result, we don't respond very well. And so we go on with business as usual. We assume that whoever was delivering that message didn't need to be listened to. We process it, we file it away, and we never think about it again. But here's what happens, just like in Jim's extreme situation, we put ourselves at great risk when we blow off and ignore an important message, one that might even save our lives. And so we move to this passage because God has been talking to a man by the name of Balaam, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Balaam ends up having a conversation with a donkey, but Balaam's not listening. And God uses a donkey to teach him that. In your life, I don't know what God needs to teach you with, and I don't know the best way that God needs to communicate with you, but I can promise you this, God does want to communicate with you, and he wants you to listen, and he wants you to learn, and he wants you to grow, and he wants you to know a number of things. And in this particular story, which is a a colorful story, there are some important lessons for all of us. But let me give you a couple of entrance ramps that you need to know. The first one is this. There are some issues with Moab. You probably know this, verse 12. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Now, in Bible history, if you go back and do research, people with unusual origins formed the nation of Moab. If you go back and look close, Lot had some virgin daughters, and they didn't want to die without having children, so they got their father drunk, slept with him, and had children. These babies were named Moab which means, literally, from the Father. Uh, That's messed up, in case you don't know. (laughs) This group of people settled east of the Dead Sea and were considered outcasts by the nation of Israel. And so, as a result, the Moabites didn't like the nation of Israel, and they harbored a hatred toward Israel that any time they had the opportunity, they would try to ruin Israel take over Israel, or do battle with Israel. That's where the Moabites came from. So whenever you read about the Moabites in the Bible, that's their history. They've got issues with Israel. God had issues with them. It was a mutual thing. They got issues. But there also is some issues with Balaam, which is our second entrance ramp that we need to look at. Now, his story is found in Numbers 22 and 23. Um... In the story, if you go back and do the research, it leads up to this. The king of Moab, remember them? Uh, they came to Balaam, and they offered to pay him if he would curse the Israelites. And you say, well, wait a minute. He's a prophet. Why would the prophet curse the Israelites with it? Think of Balaam as a televangelist. He is very much like the televangelist of the day. Um, sometimes they will do things in the name of some god but not the Lord God Almighty, which is why I'm always, always telling you as you watch, listen and make sure what you hear lines up with Scripture, because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not scriptural, and it's not necessarily of God. Now, just so you know, uh, with this series, we also, um, because of this Animal Crackers series, we're offering to you extra cookies. Um, Right now, even now, don't do it this minute, but right now, if you open up the app or if you have the app open, the top right hand features a video uh, piece called Extra Cookies. And in that particular Extra Cookie, we actually break down and we give you a lot more of the background of Balaam and his story, who he is, what's going on. That's also going to be available on the website. And so when you're done today uh, at lunch, on the way to lunch, if you want to listen to that or if you want to unpack his story a little bit more, that is the feature that we have for you this week Uh, It's two or three minutes long, but it'll explain a little bit more about him and who he is and kind of what's going on there. So you can find out more about him because the man does have uh, some issues with God and God is not pleased with him because Balaam, uh, to make the story shorter for you, is going to attempt to turn Israel uh, against God and God against Israel. And God doesn't like it. God is angry with Balaam because he knew what was in his heart. And Balaam con- continued on the path and intended to curse Israel anyway. So much so that the encounter that we just looked at is where God has decided, I'm going to intervene in the trip. Because Balaam is going to do what Balaam wants to do, which is another problem, by the way. And in our lives, how often is it that we get in trouble? One, because we don't listen. But two, because we do what we want to do, even though we know we ought not to do it. And if you go back and look at Balaam's story, the whole story, on more than one occasion, he is going one way and God intervenes and he makes him do something else. Balaam does it, but Balaam doesn't get off track because he has determined and set the direction of his heart to work against God and work against Israel. And that once he has set that direction... He continues on that direction. And even though there's an intervention here, we'll find out that that is not the end of the story. Balaam is determined to do what Balaam wants to do. In your life, when you decide that you're no longer opening to listening, when you're not open to to listening anymore, and when you decide that you're not open to being taught, then guess what happens? You will do what you think is best, and you will do what you want to do, but sometimes you ought not to do what you want to do because you're not as smart as you think you are. And I know this is a story about a mule, but don't be stubborn like one. Learn to listen and learn to respond so that God can do with you what he wants to do. Now, that's background stuff. We're going to come back around to that in a minute. But there are three biblical realities that you need to see that emerge from the passage that are important. And the first one is simply this. This is good news for graduates. It is good news for you. It is good news for all of us if we can learn the lessons and take them to heart. And the first one is simply this. Obedience can be risky. Obedience can be risky. And the hero of the story is a donkey. But the donkey keeps getting beat up. Look at verse 23. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, donkey was smart. She turned off, went to a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Look down at verse 25. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So Balaam beat her again. Verse 27. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. He was angry and beat her with a staff. Now, the moral of the story is not every time you're obedient, you're going to get beat up. But it is this. The donkey hadn't done anything wrong, but things are not going well for the donkey. How often is it that you're doing the right thing and it seems like it's going wrong? But when you're doing the right thing, and even though it seems like it going, it's going wrong, don't make the assumption that so many make that you're doing something wrong. See, there's some of you that live your life that every time it doesn't go well, you immediately go, ah, oh, I must be doing something wrong. I'm outside the will of God. No, that's not necessarily true. Oh, it could be. You could be out there just tanking your life and screwing it up because you're doing something dumb. But at the same time, being obedient doesn't give you a pass and a golden pass that all of a sudden you're going to sail and the life's going to go well. Because go back and read the story of the heroes of faith. These guys did not have easy lives. Their lives were tough. They faced incredible circumstances, and they faced moments that were just overwhelmingly difficult that they would not have made it through had they not trusted in God. The problem is that for us and the culture that we have, and our televangelists of the day will tell you this quite often, that if you're just doing what God wants you to do, and you're being obedient, all will be well. And that is a lie from the pit of hell that smells of smoke. And Satan loves you to buy that lie. He loves you to take that little nugget. Well, I'm being obedient. God's going to bless you. And then somehow twist and convolute that into the moment where all of a sudden, if you're going to be obedient, everything is just going to be smooth. People of faith will struggle just like people who don't have faith. The difference is how they face the obstacles. And one of the reasons that you face the obstacles is because God wants to give to others an example of how to overcome. Now, I hope for you, and I hope for me, that because of our obedience, life is smooth sailing. I hope there's never any turbulence, no speed bumps, no breakdowns, no repairs, and that you never have to do anything that inconveniences you at all. Boy, wouldn't that be a nice thing to put in the brochure. However, what I know about people of faith is what you've already determined about faith, that sometimes being obedient means that life gets a little tricky, it's not quite as easy as you thought, and sometimes, sometimes God will inconvenience you because he's trying to teach you. And if you look at your life and you go, Well, man, you know, I look at other people's life. I just wish mine was going better. God's just working more in you. And maybe he's got bigger plans for you. But what do we do? We push back. God, you don't, you must not love me enough. Or you're not taking care of me, God. Or, Or you're not stepping up and stepping in and coming through. And I want you to know, and hear me, graduates, hear me, everybody in the room. Obedience can be risky. It's not a pass to an easy life. And if you've ever thought that it was or ever heard that it was or wanted to believe that it was, I got it. I got the wanting to believe it, but you believe in wrong. Obedience will be costly and it can be risky and it might cost you everything to follow God. Look at the life of John the Baptist. We've talked about that before. Who wants to John the Baptist plan of following Jesus? I don't I don't want to be sitting in prison and lose my head over it. And then have Jesus describe John the Baptist as the greatest man ever born of a woman? That guy died in a prison for his faith. That's what obedience cost him. You say, well, God wouldn't do that. Really? He might. Or, are you creating the God that you want to follow? Because see, Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, there will be trouble. And times will get tough. And he said, and take heart, I am with you always. Even until the bitter end of the world, which for you as a follower, ain't so bitter, ain't so bad. And it's actually going to be your best day ever. That's the God of Scripture. Obedience can be risky. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. Not because of the reward that comes. Not because of what it is that you think you're going to get out of it. Obedience can be risky, but you're called as a follower of God to be obedient no matter what. Don't be afraid to do it. That's the first thing that emerges from the story. The second thing that you need to see is simply this. And this is good news for graduates, but it's good news for all of you. Here it is. If God can use a talking donkey, he can use you. Excuse me, great heart. I love this passage of the kid because it came out of the King James. I just thought it was cool to say that word in church and get away with it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go get you a King James Bible and figure that one out all on your own. But if God can use a talking donkey, He can use you. Verse 28 31. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam talked back to the donkey. You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn, and Balaam bowed low and fell face down. A little donkey talk here. How many times in your life do you think that God can't use you? I promise you, if you've ever thought that, you need to memorize these verses. Because if God can use a donkey to talk and communicate something that needs to be said to get somebody's attention, God can use you, I promise you. This passage could become one of your life verses. Not only does God want to use you, not only can God use you, but he will use you. And he will give you everything that you need in any given moment to get done what he has called you to do. But what you can't do is continue the endless blathering that we do with God, offering him excuses why you just can't do, or you're just not qualified, or you're just not good enough, or you just don't have the skills enough to do and be what you're created to be. Because here's the grim reality. You're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have what you need to do what God's asking you to do. Because if you can do it without Him, do it without Him. God calls you to do things that you can only do with Him because He wants to use you to fulfill the purpose that He created within you to change the world. And you're not good enough to change the world on your own. I don't care how good you are, how smart you are, and what you think about yourself, you're just not that hot but don't take that bad find your identity in Christ because he gives you an identity and he gives you what you need because he does want you to change the world and he does have a purpose for you and he has a plan for you but what he doesn't want to hear from you are the endless excuses of why you can't now that deeply spiritual magazine 17 (laughs) printed a list of excuses um, of why uh, that were actually real excuses that were turned in for why people missed school Some of these were fabricated, some of these were fake, and some of these just were mess-ups. But here's one of them. Uh, This is from a parent. My son is under a doctor's care and could not take P.E. yesterday. Please execute him. (laughs) I think that's a misspelling, but I'm just thinking. I don't know. This one has the smell of being a fake. Please excuse Tom for being absent on January 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 33rd. Somehow. This one was written by an angry mom. Please excuse Danny for being. It was his father's fault. June could not come to school yesterday because she was bothered by very close veins. <laughs> I think the idea was varicose, and I think i got kind of... Is, if the person next to you didn't get, explain that to them before they go to lunch. Um, please excuse Timothy for being absent last week. He could not talk because of Larry and And it is cold and flu season. Please excuse Robert for being absent. He has a cold and could not breathe well. (laughs) Definitely an excuse you want to use at school, right? We are so good and excuses are so automatic for us that sometimes we don't even think about what we're saying and we don't even think about the excuses that we offer. We just offer them and figure someone's going to give us a pass. And why not? We live in a world where excuses are the norm. Because here's why we give people a pass with the excuses they use, because we know that we're going to have to use the excuse that's going to be pretty lame as well. So I figure if I give you a pass on your lame excuse, I'm going to fire a lame excuse one day, and you'll give me a pass on it. It is the brotherhood and sisterhood of the excuseologist. And we do it so often, that sometimes we don't even think about it. And sadly, sometimes we bring it before God. Don't. God can use you. He wants to use you. And you can become so much more. The moment that you decide that you'll be who God wants you to be, quit offering him excuses. And remember that if God can use Balaam's donkey, he can use you and oh, the things you will do. Which brings me to the third thing. And I mentioned this earlier. Being stubborn like a mule is not something to be proud of. Being stubborn like a mule is not something to be proud of. Verse 33, and then I'm going to give you the rest or a piece of Balaam's story. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If she had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared her. The one who is stubborn as a mule in the story is not the donkey. It's Balaam. And being stubborn is not something to be proud of. It's not something to be excited about. Because it means you're unteachable and you're not willing to learn. Seven times, King Balak asked Prophet Balaam to curse the nation of the Jewish people. The Moabite king wants Balaam to put a curse on them. Balak, Balak even increased his bribe, and Balaam gave it his best shot. He sacrifices a bunch of cattle and sheep to Balak's God, and seven times God has intervened and prevented the curse. Instead, causing Balaam to actually pronounce seven blessings on Israel, including the blessings of the destruction of three different enemies. And if you read the story, it's an amusing story in some ways. It's an amazing story sometimes, but it reminds us that even when evil is at work, in full throttle, it is no match for God. And as much as Balaam is trying to undercut the things of God he's got this open dialogue where he's hearing God and he's trying to do something different. He's trying to negotiate with God, but every time God keeps coming back around and making Balaam do the right thing and the best thing. Then, as the story goes on, the king of Moab, after three blessings, figures this plan is going horribly south. So he decides that he wants to get rid of Balaam because in the king's mind, Balaam is totally out of control now. And so the fourth blessing that Balaam offers even includes a prophecy that a Messiah is going to come out of Israel. That's how God is using Balaam, who is not a God follower. And it's a powerful reminder to pause in the story if you go back and take a real good look at it, and remember that God can use anything and anyone to communicate some amazing things, even people who don't know him or follow him. Never limit who God is going to work through. But you have to be willing to listen. And you have to know enough about God and know scripture enough to be able to hear it and process it. And so this is a moment where God is using Balaam in spite of it. And so far, so good. I mean, that's good news, right? Because Balaam, uh, this prophet who really is kind of a prophet for hire, and you can hear more about that with the extra on the app. But So far, God has used him to accomplish great things. But now the bad news. We find out in Numbers 31 that Balaam nearly succeeds in cursing Israel with another tactic. Because remember I told you earlier that Balaam has set his mind on doing something, and Balaam will not get off that track. He has already made his choice, and his direction is set, and he's going to do what he can to undercut the nation of Israel. And so the men of Israel were enticed by the women of Moab to engage in immorality, to worship and sacrifice to Moab's gods. If you go back and look real closely, the resulting plague cost 24,000 people their lives because God was not playing with them. And when the Israelites finally realized what was going on, they repented, and because of their repentance, came back to God. Plague ended. Things were right again. The problem Balaam had was that he just didn't want to listen to God. Being stubborn as a mule is a very, very bad character trait. Balaam's agenda was always more important than God's agenda. And that's always a problem. Sadly, it's not just Balaam's problem. It's our problem as well. And sometimes what we want and what we think and what we feel like we need to do or needs to be done or someone else needs to do somehow overrides that spiritual aspect of our life. And we don't to really follow God because we're so busy trying to get things to play out and flesh out and work out the way that we have scripted that they need to work out. But here's what you forget. You're not the author of your story. God is. And it's not about how you're wanting to write your story. It's about the story and living out the story that God has written for you. Because God has written words that are just aching to get to the page of your heart so you will live out and flesh out what it is that you were created to be. The problem is we're always trying to hide that page from God. Because sometimes our agenda is more important to us than God's agenda. And if it is, you become unteachable. Your life becomes a wreck. And you're miserable. And you convince yourself that your misery is because of someone else. Instead of the fact that you're not doing what God wanted you to do. How do you know? Balaam. Balaam thought he had a defective donkey. He was whacking the snockers out of that donkey. Donkey crushed his foot, laid down underneath him, went the wrong way. Balaam reacted to that, battled the donkey only to find out that God was trying to get his attention. And Balaam just couldn't get on page with doing the best thing and the right thing and the God thing, no matter what. Not many people have heard the name Bill Havens, but Bill is an unlikely hero of sorts, at least among those who knew him best. At the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, the sport of canoe racing was added to the list of international competition. The favored team in the four-man canoe race was none other than the United States of America. Bill Havens was a member of that team. As the time for the Olympics neared, it became clear that Bill's wife was about to give birth to their first child. And she was going to give birth about the time that the U.S. team would be competing in the Paris Games. Now, this is 1924. There are no jetliners rocketing across the sky um, that would get him from the U.S. to Paris. And so if he was going to go, it was going to be by a very slow ride on an ocean-bound vessel. And so Bill found himself in a dilemma. (laughs) What was he going to do? She'd go to Paris and risk not being home when his child was going to be born, or she'd withdraw from the team and remain home with his family. Bill's wife insisted that he go to Paris, compete in the Olympics, and try to win the gold medal, that she was going to be fine, and even if he missed it, it would be fine. They would have a lifetime together. Bill felt conflicted. He agonized. He prayed over it. He felt like God was saying, you need to stay home. And so... As a result, he withdrew from the competition and made the decision to stay home and not go to Paris. As it turned out, the United States replaced him on that team, and they won the gold medal in Paris. And it also turned out that Bill's wife was late in giving birth to her child. Matter of fact, it was so late that Bill would have had time to go to Paris, compete, get back on a boat, come back to America, and still be home by the time she gave birth to her child. So he ended up withdrawing from the Olympics, to be home for the birth of his child they didn't have him to wait after the Olympics because he was late. And so he could have been there. He could have won and he could have come back and he could have been there uh, when the baby was born. But although people around him said, what a shame, Bill said he had no regrets. And for the rest of his life, he believed that he had made the best decision because he had prayed about it. And that's what God had told him to do. When people would ask him about it, he said, I prayed. God told me what was most important. I did what was most important. It was a no-brainer. God said it. I did it. I live my life that way. That's what happens. And people said, but, but, but. And he said, all the things that could have been, apparently to God, wasn't more important than me being here for whatever reason. Maybe my replacement needed the medal more than me. And so he said, I live with no regrets. I have a peace about the decision. The fun part of the story is the sequel to the Bill Haven story. The child that was born to Bill and his wife was a boy. They named him Frank. Twenty-eight years later, in 1952, Bill received a cablegram from his son Frank. It was sent from Helsinki, Finland, where the 1952 Olympics were being held. And the cablegram read as follows, Dad, I won. I'm bringing home the gold medal you lost while waiting for me to be born. His son had just won a gold medal for the U.S. in the four-man canoe racing event. (laughs) And all those years later, he brought back a gold medal that his father had dreamed of winning. And his father told his son, you were my dream. Best plan. No regrets. Living the life you were created to live. You can be everything that you were created to be. And even more than you imagined when you were willing to live and be the person that God created you to be. Did the donkey talk? Heck yeah. And if God can use that donkey, he can use you. Every time. So now what? What does it mean? Well, it's just a wild, wacky animal story, right? And the Bible actually has more of those Weird animal stories that you might want to know. And so here is my challenge to you. As we begin this series, we're going to have some fun with it. It's kind of the end of the school year, rolling into the summer series, and we're going to have some fun with it. And and, and I got something I want to show you up here. Um, It's not edible. But it is fun. Um, Some of you saw uh, this monkey on Facebook this week. It was sitting on my computer screen. But we have monkeys, and we've got... um, Tiger, I guess. We've got a giraffe with a broken neck. We've got a zebra. Here. And they are bendable, poseable animals. And that's funny, and it's silly, and it's cute, and that's great. Uh, but what this really is for you is, believe it or not, this is your prayer buddy. VBS is just around the corner of the prayer buddies we use all the time in VVS. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you would pray this prayer over the next four weeks, this is your challenge. Pray, God, use me to do something wild for you. And then, as you're praying that every day, my challenge to you is, write down what it is that God's using you to do. I- I'm not asking you to pray and put your focus on uh, what the problem you have in your life is or what's going wrong in your world or anything like that, because you will continue to pray about that. I'm asking you to add a specific prayer to the list. God, use me to do something wild for you, In other words, take the emphasis off yourself and what you're thinking about you and your world and ask God to take you and do something that pushes you outside the borders, to do something for someone else, to do something that will change the world in a wild and wacky way, something that you might not be looking for. It can be big, it can be little, but use this as your prayer buddy. So he can go on the dashboard of your truck. <laughs> he can sit on your computer screen. You can put him on your mirror at home so he's the first thing that you see in the morning, the last thing you see before you go to bed. You can shove him in your Bible somewhere. If you want to use him as a bookmark, it'll be lumpy, but feel free. But this becomes your prayer, buddy. And if you will pray that prayer and simply say, I'm going to do my best to pray that prayer. I want you to take this and just take it with you and go whatever. It may be as simple as someone that you know might see that and go, why you got a monkey on your rearview mirror? And it will open up a conversation where you will be able to share some truth about God. We've got two of these. We've got two bowls. Uh, They're going to be out back. You can grab those on the way out the door. Make sure that you do that. That's your now what? That's your challenge? Because each week we're going to look at another animal and see what we discover about God and how we can learn some lessons about that. We might even share an animal cookie with you by the time we're done. You never know. Okay? (laughs) Bow your heads and hearts. Let's pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for you and what you do with us. Because without you, we would be nothing. Lord, this morning, on a day where we think about honoring grads and honoring the future and how unlimited possibilities lay before us, that is a truth that is there for all of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, there are unlimited possibilities that lay before us. And Heavenly Father, if we're willing to be obedient, even though it might get risky, the journey is worth it. For some, that journey begins with the decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus. And this morning, there are some who will need to make that choice, that need to make that decision even today. Lord, I pray that even now, in this moment, right here, they would decide that you are the best choice, the best path, and the only path that will provide salvation and a future. Lord, I pray that before they would leave this day, They would simply check that spot on the worship flyer that says, I want to invite Jesus into my heart, accept Jesus as Savior, and share that with us by dropping it in the giving box. I pray if someone's watching or listening to this, they would take a moment and fire us an email and say, this is the decision I want to make, what I need to do, and give us an opportunity to enter that conversation with them so that decision can be made. But, Lord, there's others in the room who have made that choice But this is just a moment where we get to come face-to-face with the fact that you are a God that works beyond ways that we understand. And your plans are big, and they're wild, and they're amazing, and we can step into that. And so I pray that we would never limit what you want to do in our lives by our limited imagination. And so this morning, I would pray for each person in this room that they would be willing to take the challenge and pray the prayer. God, let me do something wild for you this week. Help us to become everything that we were created to be. To quit offering excuses. To learn to expect you to do everything that you said you would do with our lives. So that we might be more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.